Good morning. Hey, wasn't that video awesome? Just the testimonies. Isn't that amazing? Can, can I tell you something? We, uh, I want you to know that we made that video here. We have an amazing video team. We're going to talk. I'm sure they're not going to be happy with me saying that, but you guys are awesome. Right there. Can we just say thank you to them? Awesome. Happy Easter. You know, I love Easter. It's, it's to me one of those, my kids know, they, they refer to this as my Super Bowl. They're like, Dad, go get them. It's your Super Bowl. Come on. <laughs> I love my kids. They're awesome. That's my son. He's like, go kill them, Dad. <laughs> no, I'm so glad. You know, Easter is kind of an interesting time. People come to church on Easter morning because of some reason that is just individual for you. I think it's amazing that on Easter, oftentimes people have this introspective moment. And quite frankly, on Easter, a lot of people will stop their life just long enough to evaluate the trajectory that their life is on. Sometimes people even say to themselves, after recognizing that they may not be on the path that they want to, that Easter morning becomes this moment when they, well, they change that direction. Oftentimes on Easter, people will say, I want to I give my life over to God. I mean, because they've been thinking a lot about their own mortality. And maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you've been thinking a little bit more about your own mortality. I mean, we live in a world that's just crazy. Maybe you've been thinking about your own eternity. Man, if that's you this morning, can I just tell you this? First of all, you're normal. Somebody say amen. amen. And second of all, I'm glad you're here. Because I got a word this morning. I believe it's from the Lord for you. It's a word of hope. Because let me tell you this, we need some hope, don't we? Come on, man, it doesn't take long to flip on your TV, open up your phone, whatever you got. It doesn't take long at all to find anything but hope. Come on, it doesn't take long to flip that thing open and find MSNBC. Whatever you got, you find the source, and you just find everything just going crazy. People trying to shoot people, earthquakes happening, all sorts of, all the craziness that happens. And, and really what we are is we become a generation, a group of people who absolutely live without hope. Maybe this you this morning. Maybe you're finding yourself this morning in need of hope. I'm not talking about a wish. I mean, I'm talking about a hope. A hope that goes beyond just getting through a day. <laughs> I'm talking about a hope. A hope that believes in something beyond today. Could you, imagine if, could you imagine if God really cared about this planet? I mean, with all the craziness that goes on and all the hopelessness that happens, isn't there any time any one of you have actually thought to yourself, God, why don't you just do something? Come on now. You had that thought. You're just like, God, you know what? If you're such a big deal, God, if you're such a big thing, if you're such an all-knowing, all-powerful God, then God, just do something and fix this mess. You ever had that thought? I think all of us have had that thought at least at some point. Like, God, come on, do something. I had news for you this morning. He did do something. He did do something. See, the issue isn't him doing something anymore. The issue is, is our response to what it is that he did. See, that's the message of the cross. That's the message of the video that we got to see. That's this thing called Easter. You know, I've heard a definition of Easter is simply this, hope prevailing over despair. That's what Easter really is all about. I mean, Easter, there's this this cross where Jesus came and died in our place because we're all sinful, right? The Bible says we were born with sin, every one of us. The wages of sin, the Bible says, because we have this sin problem, we're condemned to death. 
And really what we need is we need somebody to come and pay our penalty because we can't. The Bible actually says the soul that sins is the one who will die. And without the shedding of blood, there will be no remission of sin. That's what your Bible says. So consequently, Jesus came to the earth and paid the penalty for our big fat mess. He did do something. And because of that, I love this. You know what Easter really is all about? Um, remember when you were a kid and they, they would say to you, um, hey, kids, go home and, and rip off the, the Campbell soup labels and bring them back. Come on, man. If you're over 40, you know what I'm talking about, right? I don't know if they do that anymore. But, but that, I remember you bring them in, right? Because they were going to buy new playground stuff. Come on, remember that? You're just like, my, my mom was just like, we don't even know what we have in our cupboards anymore because you keep stealing the labels. <laughs> right? <laughs> you know what those labels were, right? Those labels were the proof of purchase, can I tell you what the empty tomb was? The proof of purchase. See, when Jesus rose from the dead, here's what he was saying. You can't keep me down. Death and hell aren't going to win. I paid the penalty for their sin. Everything about their lives was a mess. I made a way. Now he comes to us and says this. It's your move now. So you and I get to choose now if we'll receive that offer of forgiveness that he paid the penalty for our sin or or not. You can just go it alone. That's the great thing about love, right? You get an opportunity to receive it or reject it. Here's the crazy thing. You don't have to choose Jesus if you don't want to. But you're crazy if you don't. Hell's going to be a drag. Real drag. It's going to be hell there, I'll tell you. <laughs> so, oh, sorry, couldn't miss it. It's right there on the T. It's going to be hell anyway. God did do something. John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son so that whoever would believe in him would have everlasting life. One of my favorite verses is the very next verse. For he didn't send his son into the world to condemn it. He sent his son into the world to save it. That's you and me. God so loved the world. You know what it doesn't say? God so loved church people. It doesn't say that. God so loved all the people who, who don't say swear words. God so loves all the people who don't have a problem. Here's what he says. God so loved the world. You know what that means? You and me. Because we, we say swear words. We hurt people. We are hurt by people. We're a mess. It's called sin. And he paid the penalty so that we could have it. I want to tell you a story this morning about a woman. A woman in the Bible who, who lost all hope. And maybe you're here this morning and you've, you're, you're kind of confused at what's going on. And, and maybe you feel a little hopeless in your situation. Maybe you feel hopeless in your marriage. Maybe you feel like the, you're hopeless because your kids have grown up and a bunch of them turned the wrong direction. And you feel like you failed as a parent. And you're trying to figure out what in the world happened. You're feeling hopeless about your life. You don't know where your job is heading. You don't know where your money is. All that stuff, and you feel a little hopeless this morning. I'll tell you this, I'm so glad you're here. This woman in the Bible had the same thing. She wanted so desperately to be connected to her culture. She tried everything she possibly knew how to do to find peace, except finding peace. Sometimes we do the same thing. We do everything except we should do to find our own peace. We buy things, we get in relationships, we, we, we hang lefts on all kinds of stuff because we just want to find a minute of peace, right? Isn't that the goal of life? Just at some point, we want to just have a minute of peace. I mean, that's why we would drink or that's why we exchange a relationship for another or that's why we would go look on places on the internet we shouldn't look because we just want a minute of peace. 
I just want to tell you this morning, there's a way to have eternal peace today. Not just for a minute, not just a drink of water, but I'm telling you, peace. If your Bible's open it up to the book of John. The book of John. If you don't have a Bible, I'm going to put it up on the screen for you. Our story takes place the time of Christ, obviously, walking around. This was a, a time when the nation of Israel was in conflict, right? When were they not in conflict? <laughs> the nation of Israel, right? There, there was these two factions of people. That there were the Jews and then there were the Samaritans, right? And the Samaritans, at one point, these guys were all one big nation. They were one big happy family, but something happened 500 years before this moment where they, well, they, well, they split. They had a big family feud, They didn't like each other. They both had the same historical father, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but they just decided that they were going to split. Here's what happened. was 500 years before this moment of this reading. There's the Assyrian king that came into the nation of Israel and and basically took them out. He he defeated them in this battle and, and exiled the entire nation away. Well, because kings like to do this, they try to mess a culture up. The kings left a few refugees behind, some, some Jewish people behind. And then a king would go to other nations and beat them up and bring those refugees over. And here's what he would try to do. Make sure that those people intermarried. And so when those intermarried, those Jews who would marry other Assyrians, who would marry other whatever it was those nations were, and they would become, get this, a defiled nation. In other words, their bloodline wouldn't be, quote, unquote, pure. So the, the pure, quote-unquote, Jewish people had been exiled away, but some were left behind and created a nation of people called the Samaritans. Oh, the Samaritans. Jews hated the Samaritans. 500 years later, when Jesus shows up, they hated each other like crazy. I mean, it was, it was so bad that when they saw each other on the road, they literally wanted to just throw rocks. I mean, they couldn't stand each other. That's when Jesus was talking that story about the Good Samaritan. Remember that? And, and literally, we just kind of read that as like, oh. <laughs> I'm telling you what, if you were a Jewish person and you heard that story, you were like, stop it. They're, they're horrible. I mean, you think we have a racist problem at times in our country. I'll tell you what, we didn't learn a thing from watching their craziness because they were a mess. Absolute hatred amongst their own family. I mean, get this. The, 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 Jesus right here in our story in John chapter 4 is getting ready to go from Judea down up here to, 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 up here to, to, to Galilee. From Judea to Galilee. It was about a 70-mile trek, right? From Judea to Galilee. Well, you know that the shortest distance between two points is what? A straight line, right? Judea, Galilee. The straight line was, well, right here. Right smack in the middle of the straight line was this little place called Samaria, right? Now, the average Jew would never come in contact with a Samaritan because they are yucky. Because they were a mixed people. They were yucky. They were not pure like us Jewish people. So we had the Jewish people. You know what happened when they wanted to go to Galilee? Most of them would hang a left and go way up to the west, and they would try to go down. They'd actually go across the Medi- down near the Mediterranean Sea seacoast. It was really only a two-and-a-half-day two, two trek that they would take days to do. Some of them would actually go all the way around, down across the Jordan River, over above, back, back across the Jordan River. It would be like this. It would be like leaving from Olympia trying to go to Seattle, right? And you know the straightest route there would be what? I-5. Well, right about Tacoma would be Samaria. You know what the Jewish people would do? Instead of actually going up through Tacoma, they would go around through Yakima. They hated each other. There's a hatred that happened here. And you have to understand something culturally too. Men and women, and it's unfortunate, but in that time, women were considered, well, just a little better than cattle. 
So they were possessions. They were owned. They, they were, it's really unfortunate, but that's how that crazy culture had come up with this. But here's what we have in our, in our moment. In John chapter 4, let me read this, a bit of a lengthy passage, but you'll get it. John chapter 4, verse 4. It says, he, this is Jesus, had to go through Samaria. On the way, eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near a parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired from a long walk, sat wearily beside the well at about noontime. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had got into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews had nothing to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if only you knew the gift of God, the gift that God has for you, and who it is that I am, you would have asked me, and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this is a very deep well. Where would you get this living water? And besides, are you greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you, your offer be better water than he and his sons and his cattle enjoy? Jesus replied, People soon be thirsty again after drinking this water, but the water I give, it takes away the thirst altogether. It becomes a perpetual spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, she said, give me some water. I want that water, so I'll never be thirsty again. I don't have to come here and haul water. Go get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband. For you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, is it bad? Why is it that the Jews insist in Jerusalem? uh, Why is it the Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship? And while we Samaritans claim that it is here on Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worshiped. Jesus replied, believe me, there is a time coming when no longer matter where you worship the Father, here or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about worship, while the Jews know all about him, for the salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming and has already come here, has already come true, when worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. The Father is looking for anyone who will worship him that way, for God is spirit, so those who worship him will worship in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah will come. The one who is called the Christ. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Just then the disciples arrived and they were astonished to find him talking to a woman. But none of them asked what he was doing for what he was doing and discussing. The woman left her water jar or bucket beside the well, went back to the village and told everyone, Come meet the man who told me everything that I did. Come, can this be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village. Uh, I, I love this story. This story is just a, a story. That this woman, imagine this woman um, minding her own business, man. She's just coming to draw water because that's what the women did. That was part of their job back then. They just went to draw water from the well. It says that she went to the well called Jacob's well. Now, we know historically that Jacob's well was just outside the city, maybe a half mile or so away. But we also know that there were wells that were well a little closer. 
The Bible says that this woman went out by herself. Now, you have to understand something about collecting of water. When they drew water, women would oftentimes go together because it was kind of their social time, right? That they would go and hang out. Usually they would do it in the cool of the day, sometime in the evening or super early in the morning. They would go to the water and they would hang out there. They'd help each other get water. And then they would, they would like talk with each other, show each other selfies. They would do all the kind of things, right? Show their kids. It was like, you know what it was? First century Facebook. It's like an opportunity that they actually chatted with each other. Chatted verbally. I mean, they actually talked, right? So they went on. This is what they had that moment, right? That's what happened in the first century when women went to draw water. But you see, we find our young friend going to get water by herself at noon. <laughs> noon. That's the hottest part of the day. We're talking about the Middle East here, right? Super hot. She's at noon. She goes to this Jacob's well, which was farther than the other wells, and she's all alone. She goes to draw water, and while she's there, she bumps into this guy named Jesus. So, so why is it that the other women didn't like her? Well, the Bible says that she had had five husbands, right? Remember when Jesus said to her, hey, go get your husband. And she says, I don't got one. And he said, you're right, you've had five, right? Now listen to this. The actual translation of that particular words are this. Um, of course, you're right, you don't, have, you don't have a husband. Because the husband you're living with now is not your husband. It's someone else's. See, there was a hatred bring. Remember, in this first century culture, it wasn't like, you know, 200,000 people living in a place. In Sychar, it was a little place. They all knew each other. They knew each other's cousins. They knew where they worked. They knew everything, right? They knew this woman as the woman who was an outcast. She was a woman set apart. They didn't like her, I'll tell you what. And so she was relegated to take her life and live it. You know what she was relegated to do? To drink the cup of her own decisions all by herself. She just figured, that's my lot in life. Okay, sirrah, sirrah. She'd given up. And she decided that's what it's gonna be. You gotta find it interesting how scared this woman must have been. Imagine this. So she's on her way, middle of the day. No one's around because everybody else is, well, not in the heat of the day. All these people, right? Jesus stops at the well. His 12 disciples go into the city of Sychar to get dinner or lunch or whatever it was that they got. Now imagine that. Woman, one road, one road, young lady carrying a bucket and a rope, not a gun or a club. She comes walking, 12 strange men approach her as she's walking. Tell me that didn't freak her out. You tell me that that didn't scare her just a little. I mean, don't touch me, don't touch me, don't touch me, don't touch me. I mean, you know, the whole time right, she's walking by and somehow she gets by them and there's, a, she doesn't know that they're like Jesus people. All she knows is there's a gang of fellas heading towards her. I'm sure she was scared to death. This is the nature of this woman. She bumps up against Jesus, and she's a little sassy. I mean, she just comes up, and she's like, what are you talking about? What are you talking to me for? I'm a, I'm a Samaritan woman. You're a Jewish rabbi man. We don't talk. In fact, what are you doing here? You know, I think this woman was hopeless. I think this woman had lost all her hope. I think she had come to the place where she was absolutely desperate in her journey and her walk with life. She'd resigned herself to just live on the fringes of society and just get what she can get because that's what her life had become. See, maybe you have felt that way in your life. Maybe you have felt you've made a decision or two that you can't take back. Maybe you felt like you've made a decision or two that has marked you, that you know of, that, that, that you wish you could just erase and eradicate from your life, but you can't and you're living with it and you just think this is your lot in life. 
Every time it comes back up in your mind, every time you bump into that situation, you just think to yourself, you know what, I deserve it, I blew it, I deserve it. And you have that thing in your mind, I'll tell you this right now, you don't need that. But some of you come this morning packing that stuff around. How do you recover hopelessness? How do you, through hopeless, how do you recover hope in the middle of hopelessness? How do you regain it? Is it possible to restore hope in your own life? Is it possible for you and I to have a hope restored? I think it is because this woman starts out this journey with Jesus and ends up running back to town telling all these people who didn't like her. And they followed her out. Some tells me there's something that happened to this woman that was visible to the whole city to come and follow after her. Something happened. You know what I think happened? Her hope was restored. And it was visible on the outside. Hope restored. How do you get your hope restored? Let me tell you what Jesus did. The first thing Jesus did to restore this woman's hope, get this, it said he had to go to Samaria. You know, I just told you this. There are several paths you could have gone. Jesus, the Bible says in John chapter four, verse four, says this, he had to go to Samaria. The Greek actually translates it this way. He made a decision to go through Samaria. He chose, he wanted to go through Samaria. It wasn't like he was in a hurry and he had to get to Galilee fast. He chose. Why did he choose to go through Samaria? Because he had an appointment with this young lady at a well. He wasn't going to miss it. What is Samaria? It's interesting because the Jewish people actually looked at the Samaritans as a big mistake in their history. The Jews looked back on them and they said, yeah, there was a day when we were one nation, but you know what? They, they're, they're a, let's just ignore them because they're just a big mistake. In fact, they wanted to just put it behind. Let's just act like they're not part of us. We'll just call them a completely separate race. The, the, the whole thing, it's just a big mistake. I don't even want to talk about them anymore. Let, let's just, in fact, we won't even bump into them. We'll walk all around all the time because nah, I don't like that part of our journey. You see, some of us walk in the same shoes as she did, right? You've made a big mistake somewhere in your life. A big mistake. You don't want to talk about it. You don't want to talk about it, man. It's, like, it's, it's, almost as a, it's almost as if it's your Samaria. You know what I love about Jesus? The Bible says that Jesus went through Samaria. I love the fact that Jesus doesn't just leave us in the middle of our crud. He actually comes into our Samaria. See, Jesus, get this, Jesus knows that big mistake. He knows that big ugly. You know that thing that you want to avoid and pretend it didn't happen? You know that decision that you wish would just go away, and it won't just go away because at the worst possible moment, it just seems to show up again, and the next thing you know, you're reminded once again of that thing. That's your Samaria. It's just that big mistake that you want to take away from your life. See, we all have a Samaria. We all have a Samaria in our life where, where we just wish would just go away. See, but Jesus didn't just leave it alone. Jesus didn't say, hey, listen, if you got a problem, come find me. Jesus went to this woman in her Samaria, met her at a well in the heat of the day. Let me tell you this. Jesus crossed all kinds of social barriers in doing so. Remember the disciples came back and they're like, I don't know what you're doing talking to a woman. In fact, Jewish priests, it was interesting. Jewish priests had this little, this uh, statement. They would say, they would wake up and pray in the morning. I'm really glad that I'm a Jew. I'm glad that I'm a, a priest. And I'm really glad that I'm not a woman. Weird. They just couldn't stand. Women were just this crazy low class. And so Jesus is talking to this person as a Jewish rabbi. And he says, listen, Missy, 
I'm coming into your Samaria. I'm coming into the big mistake that you know your life represents because you're coming here at noon and everyone else is coming at nine. See, most of us want to leave our Samarias alone. So how do you find restoration? We have to allow Jesus to come into our Samaria. You don't have to. You don't have to fix it. You don't have to make it happen. You just got to say, Jesus, all right, all right, all right, all right. Come into my Samaria. You know what I love about this is that Jesus waited until his disciples were gone. Jesus didn't embarrass her. He didn't say, like, come on, you know, everyone listen. You all know her. He waited until she was alone. He said, I'm going to meet you at your Samaria. You know what else Jesus did? Do you want to recover hope? The Bible says, listen, if you want to recover hope, then he needs to take a drink of your well. He needs to take a drink of your cup. What do I mean by that? Uh, the, the Bible here says, an interesting enough, when Jesus approaches her, he says, give me a drink. In fact, the New Living Translation that we read up there said, please give me a drink. But I'll tell you, in the original language, it's a little more rude. Original language, Jesus simply says this, you, woman, give me a drink. It's almost like, that's rude, Jesus. I don't like rude, Jesus. I want nice, Jesus. <laughs> rude, Jesus, come on. Like, you get this idea, right? You know, literally, Jesus was saying, listen, you give me a drink. You give me a drink. It's so funny because I, I look at this scenario and I'm thinking like, why would he be so mean to this woman who already is down on her luck, clearly showing up there in the middle of the day all alone? Why would he approach her with such aggression until I begin to look back? See, the Old Testament, that's the part before Jesus came, you know, that was written already, right? The New Testament hadn't been written yet. So what they had was, well, the Old Testament to think about. That's when they talked about Jacob's well and their father Abraham and all that stuff, right? So they're sitting here in this moment and Jesus, Jesus says to her this, he says, listen, give me a drink. See, in the Old Testament, when you, when you had to drink a cup of something, it was as if you were drinking a trial, your struggle, your, your pain. For example, remember when Jesus, the night that he was betrayed, Last Supper, Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember that moment? Goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. It says that he was in anguish and so much so that he was sweating drops of blood. And while he was there, there was the most intimate moment in all of history where the son talks to his father and he says, Dad, it's a big one. You know, I'll do it. I'll die on the cross for them. But if there's any other way, will you take this cup from me? But he said, not my will, God, your will be done. We skip past that little moment of take this cup. What's the cup? The cup is the cup of suffering. The cup is the cup of our sin. The cup is the cup of, of, of all the trials and pains that we all experience. Jesus was going to drink that on the cross. So when Jesus looks at this woman and he says, give me a drink, you know what he's really saying? Give me your cup. Give me your trial. You give me your pain. Woman, you came here all sorts of thirsty. But this well, you drink it and you'll be thirsty again. You give me your pain. You let me drink your trial. You let me drink your struggle. You let me have it. You give it to me. I'm telling you, I, I want to drink your trial so you don't have to keep on doing this by yourself. But if you want to find restoration, you need to allow Jesus to come into your Samaria and drink your cup. Come into that mistake of your life and come in and say, listen, I'll come and take your pain. I'll come and take your trial. Some of you are facing trials that you never thought you'd face. Some of you have fingerprints on your life that you wish would be taken away, but you can't. Some of you have trials that are, some of you have trials that you brought on yourself. And you've relegated your life to think this is just what it is. But some of you had trials that 
were brought unto you. You know, you didn't ask for cancer. You didn't ask for your baby to get sick. You didn't ask for your job to downsize and give you the pink slip. You didn't ask for any of that stuff. You didn't ask to, to, be, uh, to, to be physically hurt or abused when you were a child. You didn't ask for any of that stuff. But there's a trial in your life. It's still a struggle in your life. And Jesus comes up to this woman and says, let me have a drink. Give me your cup. And she's holding it, man. She could hold it back and say, no, 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 no. It's too much. It's too hard. It's too much. I can't. No, 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 no. Instead, we have an opportunity. You know, you know what? Jesus will never take your cup. He'll never come and just take your cup. You know why? Because Jesus, he says, I stand at the door and knock. If, I, if you open the door, I'll come in. See, Jesus will never take your cup, but he will receive it. See, we need to give him our trial. Some of you have been limping around for, well, 20, 30, 40 years, 50 years of a trial that you can't shake. It's been sticking around. It causes you to limp. Every time you bump into something, it's like the sliver that's gotten infected, and you bump into it, and you're like, ah, it hurts again. That trial, that's what I'm talking about. We need Jesus to come into our Samaria, right? And we need to hand him the cup of our trial, of our pain. And say, okay, 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 drink it. And leave it with him. See, if we want to find restoration in our life, you want to find restoration in your life. You want to find hope in your life. Jesus come into that mistake. You let Jesus come into that mistake and he takes the drink of that thing. And you know what it means when he's drinking it? It means there's nothing left for you to drink. When he's drinking it, he drinks it gone. You got nothing left but an empty cup. See, you know what's funny about this thing? This woman shows up to the well, right? She had a bucket and a rope, right? All she had was this, this bucket and this rope. And we think that there's you know, nothing fancy about this bucket and this rope, just a bucket and rope, right? Here's, get this. I think Jesus said this. You can't draw any water because your bucket's so full of you. Give me your bucket. Give me your bucket full of, well, life. Because there's no room for anything else to go in here until that's out of here. Some of y'all have buckets that are full and overflowing. Today, Jesus is saying, give it to me. I'll take it. Empty your bucket out. And finally, Jesus says to her, go get your husband. Go get your husband. It seems so weird, right? Now, get this. I mean, Jesus is Jesus, right? He knows something, right? Go get your husband. I think to myself, like, well, he's not trying to pull off a magic trick. You know, like, get this. You only had five. You know, he's not saying that at all. Like, I know you've had five. It's a big test here. How many have you had? I love that Jesus will never embarrass you. Jesus asks her a question. He says this. He gives her a, a, a comment, a command. He says, go get your husband. See, get this. I don't think he was talking about a man. I don't think Jesus was talking about any human beings. Because her response was, get this, it's interesting. I think Jesus struck a nerve. Every other place Jesus talks to this woman, she replies to him as, sir, sir, this well is from our father, sir. She calls him sir, this really kind, respectful, almost rabbi-like comment back to this Jewish person. Because she, she even responds to him politely. Except when he says, go get your husband. When he says that, she says, I don't have one. Translation, he touched a nerve. See, because I don't think he was asking about a man. You know what I think Jesus was saying? I think Jesus was saying this. Go get that place in your life. Go get that place in your life that you want kept secret. 
Go get that place in your life that you want, that you want to hold down and you want anyone else to see. Go get that place in your life that causes you to come here at noon when all the other women come at nine. Go get that place in your life that causes you to walk in the heat of the day and causes the guilt and the shame and the fear and the pain. Everything, go get that thing and bring it to me. Literally, you know what he was saying? Missy, I'll forgive your sin, but you need to ask for it. He was saying, I want to make you aware of your sin. It's not a man, it's you. You've made decisions, and if you want to be clean, you need to repent or you need to ask for forgiveness. See, that's the crazy part of this story. This story really is nothing more than just the gospel message. This story is nothing more than just this really big picture of God's love for us. I mean, you know, as I was, I was finishing up yesterday, I was finishing up this sermon, I was like, okay, God, we're ready. Let's go get Easter. And I say, you got anything else for me, Lord? And he goes, yeah, you know what? You're the Samaritan woman. Is it me? He said, no, humans, you all are the Samaritan woman. See, every one of us lives in Samaria. Every one of us has this place that we've made big, ugly mistakes called sin. Every one of us has that place in our life that we know we can't drink ourselves and we've been trying, but we know only he can. Every one of us has this part of our life that we're so ashamed of and we need to ask him to forgive. Every one of us, he says, listen, you're all the Samaritan woman and only I can come and take it away from you. If You'll allow me. That's the message of Easter. Easter's all about this moment. I could have read the story that some of you have heard that early in the morning, Mary got up and ran and the tomb was empty. That's all relevant and it's right. But why was the tomb empty? Why did Jesus die on a cross? Why did Jesus pay the penalty for our sin? Because we're all mixed mess filled with sin and made in the image of God and every one of us he's saying listen I'll give you living water living water if only you'll take it you give me the cup of your pain you give me the you give me the bucket you you, you empty your bucket on me man you give me the bucket of all your struggles you give me the bucket of everything you got and I'll fill it full of my living water some of you today are just stinking tired of carrying that bucket, trying to keep the beach ball of the, a mistake under the water, and it just keeps on trying to make its way up. I'm telling Jesus says, let it go. No longer holding on or trying to push that thing down. He's saying, empty your bucket. I love it. At the end of the story, the Bible says that the woman left her bucket in front of Jesus and ran back to the city. Some of us, well, all of us need to leave our bucket with him. I don't know if we ran out of him or not, but I tried to hand you all a little bucket, a little teeny bucket, right? It's just symbolic. Make a necklace out of it, earrings, whatever you got, right? I don't know what you're gonna do with that thing. The only significance I want you to see is that bucket symbolizes something in your life. And I want it to symbolize what you have in it. You or him. Some of you need to empty that bucket out. See, we call that salvation when we let Jesus come into our Samaria. When we let him drink the cup of our pain. 
And then we ask him to forgive us for all of our craziness when he says, go get your husband. So this morning, can we pray? Can we pray this morning? I know that there are some of you here this morning who have never heard a message like this. And some of you have come and just said, I thought I was just coming. You don't even know why you came to church. Maybe you came to church to get your mommy off your back. Maybe you came to church this morning because your kids finally got to you. Maybe you came to church today because some cute girl invited you. boy. I don't know why you came but make no mistake it wasn't an accident God had an appointment with you at a well in Tacoma right here today God had an appointment and he set it up he said Lance this is who I want you to I want you to talk to him and I want you to talk to her and I want you to, this I want you to say I'm going to bring them all in one room together Lance you can just go ahead and yap about it the real question is, is what will you do with that? Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much. Thank you so much that you made a decision to come into our Samaria. Thank you that you didn't leave us out to continue walking in the heat of the sun, trying to bear the burden of our own mistake. Thank you that you came and you, you drank all of our suffering and you chose to say, listen, if you'll just give it to me, you give me your sin, I'll give you all of my righteousness. God, thank you for making a way. This morning, as you have your eyes closed and your heads bowed, I'm gonna invite you. Maybe today you've come and you realize that your life is just like that. You keep getting badgered by that mistake. You keep getting stirred up by all the sin and stuff you've done and you're realizing that you've lost all hope and you so desperately want hope in your life. If that's you this morning and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, you've never said, Jesus, all right, I give you all of me. Remember, this doesn't make you more of a church goer. It just makes you a believer. This morning, if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, and you find a meeting at the well with him this morning, I want you to say, Jesus, I surrender. You found me. I give up. I need to drink this morning of your living water. Go ahead, just you and Jesus, talk right now. Say, Jesus, will you forgive me? Forgive me for, you You go ahead and name it. Name it, forgive me for that. Go ahead, you and him, right now, have a conversation. Lord, forgive me. Forgive me for this. For, forgive me, God. Now say this prayer, God, I ask you to come into my heart and I surrender my life to you. And maybe you're here this morning and you've been a Christian for a long time, but y'all haven't been walking it. In fact, you've allowed your bucket to start filling up again. You don't need to get resaved. You just need to empty the bucket. That's you this morning. I want you to say, Jesus, I'm dumping it out on you. At this meeting at the well, I'm coming to meet with you in my biggest mistake. And I need you to give me that living water all over again. Fill me again. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This morning, can I just, as a point of celebration, this morning, if you prayed that prayer this morning, maybe for the first time of surrendering your life to Christ, will you do me a favor this morning? We don't want to hound you. I just want to give you, I just want to celebrate with you. Will you just lift your hand up? and say, I surrendered my life to Jesus today. Come on. Awesome, who else? Come on. 
else? Who else? Maybe this morning you said that prayer for the second time. You said that prayer and said, Jesus, will you just fill my bucket? And you empty it because you know you're a believer, but you need someone to pray with you. Will you lift your hand up? Say, that's me. Hallelujah. There's a bunch of us. Now here's the funny thing. If you wished you would have raised your hand at first, but you didn't, is this just too freaky to raise your hand a bunch of friendly strangers? Listen, then if that's the case, which I know it is, because I, w- I would be scary too. So here's, the thing, here's what I want you to do. I'm going to make it easier on you. Right outside these doors, there's a table. The table has a bunch of Bibles in it and some people that are wearing blue tags. Here's what they're going to do. I know Lance is weird, but what'd you do? And let them give you the Bible. Let them show you what the next step is. Maybe you don't have a church home. This is an opportunity for you to find a church home. Can we do that? Let them pray with you. If you need prayer, man, they'll pray with you. As we go out this morning, can we sing a worship song? Can we declare today that we have overcome by the blood of the Lamb? Will you do that with me? Why don't you stand to your feet?